Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode of the Breaking Bad Show. I'm Chad Bruckner. Ryan Chartrand will be here with us in a minute, but we wanted to welcome you back to another episode. We are just loving this show, loving this community. Ryan and I talk about you all daily and, and the interactions we have. And it is pretty freaking amazing. So let's keep it up. Today's episode, we're gonna have Chief Elliot Moya of the Elliot Main Police Department. Chief Moya gets really into mental health and wellness, and he tells you his story, how he got into it. And he's vulnerable, and he's open, and he's honest. And this is the humility that we need in this world if we're gonna make it a better place, but certainly in the law enforcement profession. This, this world's gonna change, we need more people like that. So, Ryan and I just wanna thank you so much for being part of this community. We're here for you, and we're gonna keep going every Tuesday. And remember, we might wear badges on our chest, be a great on the range, and do 100 push-ups in two minutes, but we're still human beings. And processing traumatic incidents, dealing with trauma, it's just not normal. So it's good that we are talking about it and creating cultures and environments that we can continue to be open and honest. A lot more work to do. But Chief Moy is gonna take us on a road, his personal journey of mental health and wellness, and boy, is he inspired. So I'm really excited to have him on and have you listen to him. And I hope you get as much out of it as Ryan and I did. I'm trying to get some exercise here. And enjoy it because self-care so so important have a growth mindset and go chase happiness this is the break of bad show Hey everybody, how you doing? Welcome back to another episode of Breaking Badge. I'm here with Ryan and our special guest, Chief Elliot Moy from the Elliot PD, that's in Maine, Police Department. Chief Moy, how you doing, sir? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing awesome. Awesome. Great to have you on, Chief. Thank you. Chief, we know you're a Mets fan, so uh, I see your city field in the background. We're a little Philly swag for you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think the Mets might be a lot better this year than the Phillies. Yeah, um, they, they, they paid a lot of money for it. Yeah, yeah they did. They did. That's in Red Sox uh, history. <laughs> that's right. That's right. I'm still living off that World Series. No, <laughs> that's awesome. Chief, so you, you've been, uh, you got appointed chief in 2016. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And how long have you yep. been with Elliot PD? Uh, I think we're coming up on um, 15 years total. Wow. Um, started there, went to the academy there. I did some, you know, reserve stuff in Western Massachusetts. Um, but yeah, all my full-time experiences is, is uh, Right there in Elliot. I, I shouldn't say that. I left Elliot for a, a very brief, uh, very brief stint and uh, and came back. But we can get into that. Gotcha. That's great. Yeah, I would love to hear kind of more about your journey. Um, we know how much mental health advocacy is and leadership, and how important that is for you. And Ryan and I were doing our, our show prep and really just got some meaty questions for you because I first heard your name from Ernie Stevens, and Ernie and I built this great relationship in the last year since I left law enforcement and your name has come up even months ago, months, you know, when I first started talking about this and what I wanted, he's like, Oh, did you connect with chief Moy yet? I'm like, no, he's like, Oh, you got to do it, bro. I'm like, all right. So I sent you that message. I don't know, maybe a few weeks ago and just had a great yeah. conversation with you. And where did your passion or interest for law enforcement come from? Like, did you come from a law enforcement background or have family? No, no. Um, you know, not really. I, uh, I guess a little bit of a military background, um, you know, grew up, I really wasn't allowed to play with guns or anything like that. It wasn't, you know, anything like that. So I, I uh, you know, grew up in uh, um, New York for a, a small portion of my life. And I always liked the uh, the look of the NYPD cruisers back in the day, you know, and, but really, you know, there wasn't anything that called me except for, I think, you know, during high school, when I was trying to figure out, all right, where, what direction am I going to go here? Is it going to be the military police? I kind of had a passion for that, but I don't know really where it, you know, where it comes from, you know, I'm uh, certainly not handed down um, from family or anything like that, but, uh, but here we are. When Ernie, I was talking earlier about mental health and Ernie was telling me about all the awesome things you're doing there. And I know a lot of people don't know about it because I've been having conversations since we booked the show with you, with other leaders that I know my sphere of influence out here in the Philly area. One asking them about mental health, uh, deploying units and social work, uh, tying everything in together and it's just, it's a mind boggling concept, at least out in this area. I mean, we're talking about it, but um, 
the level of what you're doing, and I love to have you tell our viewers, you know, what what exactly is your mental health policies, or what approach are you taking inside the police department? Yeah, so I guess to you know to step back a little bit, you know, Ernie has been absolutely fantastic. I mean, you talk about uh, you know a true champion um, for mental health policing, it, it, and and it kind of goes into you know uh, the documentary, which was really inspiring to me. I mean, it was something that just that I watched that thing and it spoke to me. Um, CIT mental health. This was not something that, you know, coming up, I was into it all. Uh, I mean, really, I, I think I was offered uh, to go to the training and I was like, ah, I'm all set. Not, not my thing. You know, I really just wanted to be a detective. That was the ultimate goal to me. That's the, you know, the top position in law enforcement. You can put the, the pieces of a puzzle together. Um, but then the pandemic hit, right. And everything kind of started changing. And um, this, you know, this wasn't for my department. This wasn't my idea. Uh, one of the one of the guys came to me and said, hey, you know, everything is kind of slow. People aren't, uh, um, you know, really calling the police anymore. Nobody's in school. Everything was, you know, remote, um, you know, school through Zoom, people working from home. So, you know, somebody was asking, well, how are you connecting with people? Right. How, how do we have um, how do we know that the students who are normally in front of their teachers, right? They're, you know, mandated reporters, these people that are kind of their, right, daily guardians, just keeping an eye on um, on their well-being, I guess, you know, that that was gone. So I didn't have a good answer for that. You know, I don't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know, you know, what we could be doing. And one of the guys came and said, you know, half of this department, if not more, is CIT trained. Why don't we just start putting a focus into that and, um, and, and see where it goes? And, you know, I didn't initially, I was like, okay, you know, he gave me some paperwork. It was on my desk. I slid it off to the side for a while, you know, and, um, but I didn't just get rid of it. And, you know, he came back and talked to me and then my sergeant, uh, I got a fantastic sergeant. He said, Hey, watch, watch this documentary, which I didn't do right off, but I had nothing going on on a, on a Saturday and turns on, turned on HBO and, and it hit me. I was like, wow, that was awesome. And so then all of a sudden I started having the conversation and I told the guys, all right, you got my attention. Uh, this makes sense. Um, when I took over, you know, I did the same thing. Any, you know, chief would do. I had no intention of becoming a chief. Didn't know what I was doing. Probably still don't, uh, you know, but, I, you know, learning every day. But I did what, you know, I, I changed my, you know, the core values. Right. I changed. I updated our mission statement. And that was still even before the mental health thing. I have this feeling where we're human. Right. And, and, you know, we have a lot of authority. And so we need to treat people, you know, with me, you know, the way I would respect um, kindness, fairness, you know, empathy. Um, and I can, I can go through all my core values, but those were very real. They are very real to me. Um, and empathy was a big one. And that was kind of, as I was learning more about emotional intelligence, kind of, you know, starting to take that internal look, you know, the self-reflecting and see, okay, how can I be better? You know, what can I do to improve? And um, and that was the kind of the, the big thing. So I wanted the department to be this, you know, have this response that was just, you know, as they say, right, you make an arrest and everybody says, you know, thank you, right? That's the goal. You've treated them, you know, uh, with kindness. That could be the person that ultimately down the road helps you on the side of the road, you know? So you want to be decent to everybody. And, um, and then once I started kind of getting into the CIT thing and the mental health thing, it just it was like that missing puzzle piece. And I was like, this makes total sense. Now, I don't know what I'm doing or how I'm going to go about doing it, but we're going to give this thing a shot. And, um, and that was the start of the journey. So really, uh, you know, from there, it was reaching out to, you know, starting those partnerships, right? So reaching out to NAMI, starting to collect data, and just asking, how do I do this? It was somewhere around there after I watched the documentary, you know, just, just like we all do is reach out on, on, social media, LinkedIn or something like that and say, Hey, can I pick your brain? And, um, you know, amazing as Ernie is, I mean, he responded and said, you know, you know, ultimately we went back and forth and, um, I got a lot of good, uh, a lot of good information, a lot of good mentorship, you know, which was, which was, uh, you know, something certainly I was looking for, you know, one of the things in Maine, unfortunately, wasn't not many departments, you know, doing it, um, which now just doesn't make sense. And now it's also the good thing is it's starting to change. So that was kind of the, the beginning. 
so what are you doing now? Like what, let's say I live in Elliot, I uh, called 911. I'm in uh, having a, a manic episode or I'm in a crisis. You know, they're going to dispatch EMS and police. So, so what is Elliot doing now, you know, to, to handle those calls typically? Yeah. So now, so we've partnered, you know, not only with NAMI, but now with our, our more localized um, mobile crisis response. And we, we try to get them, you know, to come in, work with us, ride along with us. Um, and, you know, we were starting off really great uh, with that, but, you know, schedules get in the way, things get kind of difficult. Um, but we kind of set up a framework where we'll typically have, most of the guys are CIT trained. So they're getting that initial response, um, you know, with compassion, they're getting uh, everything we can do to basically triage. From there, we'll call mobile crisis. If they're not with us, they'll come out to the scene. Um, I mean, right now, you know, the good thing, again, is, you know, you can pick up the phone, you can do a Zoom, and we can get that help in so many other ways. So, um, so we're starting to do that. You know, a lot of times we can, you know, kind of take care of it on scene. Um, but mobile crisis, that partnership has been, you know, truly fantastic. That's terrific. Um, I've been following Rochester PD for that new mental health uh, resiliency unit they started. And yeah. just, I just, I love the the approach that law enforcement has really taken because most of the people we deal with, I feel like that are not uh, victims of a crime, a burglary or an assault, or, you know, a lot of the mere encounters or the, the routine kind of you're in the store and something happens or somebody flags you down or waves you. It's because there's usually somebody in some sort of crisis or some sort of mental health issue or substance abuse, abuse issue, which people that are also have diagnoses also can struggle with substance abuse, which even makes it more confusing. So to see what you guys are doing and approach, is there a 12 month or an 18 month or a three year goal you wish to, or you're working on as far as doing more, intro, introducing it more in the community? Yeah, um, definitely. In fact, I just got, I just wrapped up my CIT coordinator training today, um, which was great because, you know, this is, you know, we don't want to rush this, right? And so we're taking these small incremental steps and it feels like daily we're learning something new, making a new connection. Um, you know, as I said before, we have now, as this is starting to become the way, uh, we are now starting a regional, um, connecting regionally, and we have an outreach worker, um, again, through another partner in the area, and that person's going to be available um, to us, you know, at, at least 40 hours a week. And, um, and again, just another community resource, which will help. I mean, think about this too. Right now, I have seven officers. So we're trying to do this in a really small department. Um, so that in itself is a challenge. And what we, what we were doing is basically going out there, doing the best we can. And like I said before, although we'll triage the, the call at that point or mobile crisis, the thing we're also doing now is following up, right? So why, why wait until the crisis comes? So now we're just like, and some people want to talk to it and some people don't, but I will tell you it's overwhelmingly positive. We'll go back and just check on, you know, check on people that we've, you know, we've worked with. How are you doing today? You know, and um, and I, I'll tell you, it's been it's been amazing. We, you know, not to get into stats or whatever, but it's it, it was truly amazing how many of our reports have this mental health component. I mean, it was to me, it was it was mind blowing. You know, it, it's all relative, right? Again, we're small, smaller call volume, less arrests, things like that. And as we kind of move towards this, it's even the numbers are dropping, especially for arrests, because, you know, what happens, right? You kind of go in the circle, arrest the same people for nonsense that really has nothing to do with, you know, uh, a crime. It's more, you know, the uh, the mental health component. So what's the reception been with other executives in your area? I mean, with this approach and, and you know, what's the reception been? Uh, positive. It's been great. Um, we have people asking questions, you know, people that are calling, Hey, what are, what are you up to? What are you doing? Um, again, even for us to, uh, partner with, you know, our two neighboring communities, it's huge, you know, that that's huge. And, and, um, you know, small departments, tight budgets, that regional approach, I think is, you know, super effective. Um, you know, we have, we have, you know, I say that we have yet to actually kick this off with this one outreach worker, but it's going to be, you know, hands down, it's going to be probably one of the uh, uh, best things we've done. And that doesn't take away the response that we're already doing, right? So this is just in addition. Mobile crisis will still be there. All of that will kind of be the same, but this is another layer that uh, that I'm, I'm hoping will make it, you know, even that much more effective. I'm blown away. You said seven officers, and I'm thinking about 
the training that you're hosting is that this Thursday, the, the wellness training and the yeah. CIT type training, you're flying Scott Medlin up the, the, the awesome dude, Scott Medlin. I think he's in North Carolina. And I'm thinking like you're saying seven officers, he's investing this time, investing this, this money that the budget for seven officers, I mean, it just speaks, you know, volumes about how much you care about bringing the very best to, to your PD, regardless of personnel size. Yeah. You know, um, absolutely. I, I, you know, we could probably get into this on the, on the leadership side of things, but uh, I was probably pretty close to hanging it up hmm. um, and just kind of being like, you know what, I, I don't see, the, you know, a lot of politics, a lot of, you know, all that stuff. And I am just not, that's not my thing, you know, and um, I needed to find, well, I didn't need to find it. I wasn't looking, this came to me, right? This hmm. just kind of one officer decided to not stay quiet and say, hey, chief, let's do this, you know? And again, it didn't, I didn't fall I didn't automatically go for it, but, you know, um, I'm glad he did. And I'm glad that I listened to him um, because this this has been like that. That missing piece for me, like, I feel like, hey, this is working. This is like policing is awesome right now. You know, yeah. well, you said you're going to hang it up like if you don't mind walking us through, because that, yeah. that's it's interesting to me. You said earlier you really weren't trying to be a chief. But uh, from my yeah. opinion, sometimes the best leaders are the ones that don't want to do the job, but they recognize the need for themselves to do it. And then you said you might, you almost hung it up. So like, what, take us through that mindset of, were you just not feeling fulfilled or, or the, the duties that you wanted to do was, is not, wasn't able to be done there at that time? Yeah. You know, I kind of felt like I was, you know, I had that feeling like, what, what more can I do here? Right. Again. And then I get into the politics part of it a little bit, you know, and it's like, you know, I'm not getting the budgets to start a mental, get more officers to start a mental health unit to do, you know, what, what's all that, you know, you get a new officer in an interview, what do they want? Maybe canine, right? They want to be a detective. Um, I've got an open detective position. I don't have enough guys, you know, to fill it, you know, because we need to cover the road. Um, we're a 24-7 department, um, you know, and, and one person working in the middle of the night, you know, so that's, that, that can be, uh, that can be scary, you know, so, so agencies have to definitely, you know, work, work closely together. And I, and I just, you know, for me, I was like, I don't know, you know, I just, I feel like everything's up against me. Uh, I might've taken this as far as I can go. You know, I'm, I was at that point, you know, I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm five years of chief. I can be proud of what I've done. I've improved the department, no question. Uh, you know, and, and so I, I, yeah, I was uh, applying for jobs in other areas, um, you know, other, you know, not in law enforcement. And, uh, and I just felt like, yeah, I'm probably, I'm probably done. I don't know if I'm going to be effective. I had to take that, you know, that uh, deep look again, as, as they say, you know, and, and then this all came and I just, you know, it, it's, it feels right. It feels like, uh, you know, I've been to a training before where they say, you know, a chief, you know, you know, their effectiveness is maybe five to seven years. And I'm like, whoa, well, I'm at six. I'm like, I'm probably over. I'm probably over my time. I got to get, you know, I better get out of here before I get, you know, stale or something like that. But, um, but then this, you know, but then this came and this felt like a, a challenge that was worth, you know, that was worth giving a shot and putting the effort into and all the officers um, they're committed, you know, they're, they're right into it. So um, this has been, this has kind of given me a new energy, I guess. That's terrific. And I think it's great that you share that because, and Ryan and I've talked about this before, we're sometimes we're our own worst critics and you're when you're on the job and, and maybe you're not feeling fulfilled or you're not hitting your ceiling that you think you set for yourself and you hit those roadblocks that come for us all throughout our careers at different times. Um, and you see someone, you look around, you see somebody else having a lot of success or loving what they do. And you're thinking like, why am I not like that person or what's going on with me? And it's just a, the critical thinker in us, but to even hear you a chief of police, who's done a lot of, had a lot of success, you know, still a questioning those things. I think that goes to the growth mindset. And I think that I hope that Ryan and I are trying to push out there to everybody that, that it's okay to not know the answer to a lot of questions, but research, explore, develop that growth yeah. mindset. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's the amazing thing about, working on our mental health response, improving it is that it, we naturally morphed into officer wellness. Um, it just, it just, that was like, the, I don't know if that should have come first. I don't know if that, you know, but it, but it's here and we're, we're, we're focused on it. And it was at that moment that for me, when we were like, okay, let's, you know, let's start kind of taking a look inside, man, I, when I did, I needed it, you know, and it, and I realized, you know, it's not really this department that, that's so bad. It's not the schedule. I mean, I, I have a, an amazing schedule. I have an amazing team. 
I was knotted up in my head, you know, and, um, and then, you know, I wanted to be a model, you know, for the guys. Right. So I, 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 you know what, let me try therapy. Let me go talk to somebody, you know, and, uh, the best thing I ever did, you know, it was a coach and a mentor that I had never had. It was a, it was a different perspective that wasn't, you know, maybe, um, my wife, right. Who has always given me amazing advice. Right. But it was just, I couldn't get out of my own way. In, in what direction I wanted to go, if police work was still right for me. And man, once I started talking and just kind of, like I said, get that third person perspective, I was like, wait a minute, this ain't so bad. And I still got more to do here. And I shared that with all the guys, you know, I, you know, doing my part to kind of break that stigma. Right. I'm like, Hey guys, you know what? I just, I was in therapy for an hour and it was amazing. And I don't, you know, I didn't tell them everything. Right. But um, you know, it was, uh, I, I feel like I have to model it. Right. I, I, I want to be authentic. I want to be real. So I, I feel a responsibility to share, you know, first of all, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about it. I'm not telling you to, but man, look what it's done to me or for yeah. me, you know, but that's what leaders do. And that is an amazing thing because uh, I almost got choked up while you're talking because when I, I went through my low point in 2019 and I always have a big smile on my face, the way I just walk around, I posted about this yesterday and uh, but really I was struggling inside and I even made an attempt, a couple attempts to speak to my command about it said, I'm really struggling. I'm really hurting. And it was just totally disregarded. And I'm not mad and upset about that. I think, um, you know, you, you, certain people just aren't equipped or don't have the background to handle. There's really tough conversations, strengths are in other areas. And, and yeah. we're all like that. So I'm not upset or, or begrudging, but it is speaks to the issue of why the stigma exists It have a chief that says, Hey, I'm in therapy. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a great day. Here's the things I learned. If I go through that as somebody in your police department, I'm going to say chief's doing it. Why can't I do it? Why shouldn't I do it? Why not? I just think that is huge. That level of vulnerability and leadership, that is really what transcends, in my opinion, a phenomenal leader. So I'm giving you two claps for that. I appreciate that. Uh, thanks, man. It wasn't, you know, that's it. And it's tough, right? Because you don't know, you know, the, the guys could turn around and be like, oh, that guy's, you know, he doesn't have it together, you know? And, um, but I, I think they all knew me well enough, you know, and, and it was, uh, there was that trust there. And just to, you know, just to talk to him and say, man, that was great. I, one of the guys has said, hey, maybe I, you think I should give it a try? Why not? If you're even asking that question, give it a shot. What, what's it going to hurt? You know? Um, so, yeah, it was wow. awesome. That, that is really. amazing. It's funny. Last thing for me, and I'll turn over to Ryan, but when I was talking to Ernie, I don't know, maybe last week, uh, we're talking about you. You came up, and uh, he, had a, he mentioned something that, do you know his guys love him? He said to me, you know, his guys love him. I said, love him. Tell me about that. Because I, I love that person. Like when you love something or somebody that that you will do whatever they ask you to do because you love them and they love you. And that's any relationship. And he just, just his guys love him. He's open. He's honest. He cares about them. He's sincere. He's genuine. He's authentic. They love him. And I just think that is amazing because most people I would say work for a boss that you can't say I love them. They may I like them or I respect them, but not I love them. I just thought that was cool. And I want to give you a lot of credit for that. Thank you, man. I, I appreciate that. You know, um, it, it, you know the the moment that I. I struggled once is, is we're, we're friends, you know, my, the, the guys, we're, we're friends. And, you know, sometimes people will say, um, well, you know what, you shouldn't, you should separate that. You know, you can't be friends with, and that's just not my style. And so I, I was like, well, I'm, I'm going to run my department the, the, the way that I think is, you know, the proper way to do it. And it. Um, yeah. And, and it's been, it's been great. I have a good, a good crew. Um, you know, we just added somebody else recently who, you know, I knew from, from the past who, um, is really, in, it, really into fitness and wellness. So he's just kind of like, it's all falling together, you know, kind of at a perfect time. So it's, uh, it, it's really great. I mean, I, I've got a, a good team and for, for them to say they love me, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's mutual. Yeah, that's great. One, one more thing, Ryan, sorry, I'm going to step on your toes, but he just made me think of Jeff. We had Jeff Scheffelbein. He's a, a business executive, very successful, large company. He was on our episode that posted today. And you said something to me that is something he said that, in leadership, you can be close with your people and also be in an influential role and authoritative role. Like you can have both. You can love your people. And this whole mantra that, oh, you're the chief or you're an executive, don't get too close. And that is, to me, that's fear. That's fear of you don't know how to cultivate relationships properly, or do you have some other agenda or motive that you're not willing to make that effort? Because you can certainly 
in any parents love their kids, right? But they're still parents. They still have to discipline, hold them accountable, set a good example, model good behavior, but they can love them and kiss them and lay in bed with them at night and they can yell at them at the next day. It's all rooted out of love. So I appreciate you saying that because Jeff said that today and now you're going to say coming up next week. So that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's been good. It's been, it's been, uh, really good, uh, you know, so far and you know, it's, you know, there's ups and downs, right. But you know, all in all, it's a, it's a good solid team. And, uh, you know, I've got no complaints. One of the things that uh, um, I was I was watching uh, Andy Harvey, um, on, and uh, you know, I think it was might have been the first first podcast you did, right? But that you know, his book. Um, if I you know if I was together enough and had it, had my thoughts, it would it, I would have said, you know, written a similar thing. And and what really stuck with me was uh, it was it's, I'm going to mess it up, but it's culture, right? Culture over the policy. Um, something like that. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that's what I think. I mean, policy will fall into place if you've got the right culture, you know, and that, that was just, I read that and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. You know, (laughs) that I put that, uh, I have a wellness program I teach for first responders and I put a whole slide in there about for chief Harvey. And then he said that because, and I taught this a month ago to police department and we had a kind of foster this whole conversation about, well, policy is what dictates everything. I said, no, that is the construct we've been taught. I'm not saying policy is not important. It's extremely important. Uh, you know, that's what you read when you get fired and, or hired. And that's what you read if you get fired and you really never read right. it any other time. But, um, but you can't disregard culture for that. And, and I just love that you said that chief Harvey, it's funny. I read Ernie gave a, uh, I read Ernie's book and I know you're, yeah. you're rolling that out of your PD and he mentions Chief Harvey's book, Excellence in Policing, in that. So it's just cool to hear all these people say that it must be true. So go buy Chief Harvey's book. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a cool time, I think, because we've got a lot of law enforcement that are telling their stories. Right. And I, it must be easier to put a book out. And I'm reading a lot of these things. And they're, they're all amazing. Uh, you know, amazing stories that we can really learn from and kind of move away from those those rules that we that have been there forever. And we feel we need to follow like, hey, mm. you can't actually have a relationship with your with your team and give me a break, you know? And so um, it, it's nice. It's a good time that way. I think. Chief, you had so much, so much great stuff there. And, and the one word really towards the end that, that kept popping into my head was, was courage. And it takes courage to lead like you are. Um, you know, we, we see a lot. We, we get, we put that uniform on, we put that cloak on of the police officer and, we start it from our, our rookie year. We grow into that so that by the time we reach leadership, we've become that. And it takes courage to break out of that mold and to, to be so transparent and authentic with your men and be able to admit that type of thing. And, you know, one, one thing you mentioned it, um, seen you mentioned, I've seen you write it and I, I heard you mention it and, and uh, Chief Harvey mentioned it too. And that's, I'm still learning. I'm yeah. always learning, not I'm chief, so I know everything. So yeah. you do this. You on the on the courage that you have to to stand up and and do the things that, that you talked about and you've exemplified with your police department. So as as I shift gears a little bit towards the the leadership side, I want I'm gonna it's kind of a two part question, and I think I already know the answer to the first, but I'm gonna throw it out there to set up the second question, and that's. Do you believe leadership is learned or is it a natural trait? You know, I used to say it was natural. Um, I sense, you know, uh, being a chief, I think that people can learn. I guess it depends who you're learning from, right? Because we see, you know, we see those leaders that we've, uh, that you know, that we've kind of talked about, you know, that's kind of my way. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, if, if people kind of move up in those kind of command structures and uh, structures, then it's going to be that way. So I think some people just have it, you know, definitely. But I, I think it's something you can learn. So I don't know if that was a, a cop out or not, but. Uh. No, not at all. And, and, you know, the one thing that I really think is going to contribute to, you know, kind, kind of that shift in police leadership is the ability to connect in the way that we are more and more now. Like Chief Harvey has his podcast. More chiefs that are doing innovative things like Chief Harvey and like yourself are able to communicate those to more of a national level, whereas just trying to do it in a local department, it doesn't really get noticed and you kind of get squashed. To follow up that, you know, we, a lot of times we, we hear a lot about the, the failed leadership in policing. So 
Did you have a leader or a mentor within your police department as you were growing through the ranks that you kind of, that, that you learned your style from and kind of developed from, or did you do a lot of your learning outside of the poli- policing, or was it kind of kind of a combination of both? Yeah, it, it was a combination. I, you know, sometimes I, I I don't like to say this, but I feel like I have to say it is in our little police department. I learned a lot about leadership because of the way the department was, and it wasn't always great. It was, you know, at times it was just a a different mentality. It was very tense, a lot of of gossip, rumors, you know, and I, that was, I I remember that I was like, what am I, I'm a chief now. What am I going to say to these guys to kind of win them over, you know, but I was already part of the team. So, and it was gossip. That was the thing that used to just ruin a day. You know, it would just kind of change the dynamic of a day you get into work. And the first thing is like, Hey, you're not going to believe this. You know, now I know to be like, Hey, I don't want to hear it. It has nothing to do with me or this department. And, and, you know, I say that because it felt like 90% of the stuff was a neighboring department or not our problem at all. But, you know, we would listen to it and it would be like, Oh, you know, it would kind of, it would just, you know, um, change, you know, your mood, you know? And um, so yeah, I, I think um, I, I learned a lot from the military. I had some good leadership in the military. Uh, and I always think back to that. And I took it for granted, I think, when I was, you know, coming up through the ranks and and thinking back, I just really, I was like, wow, that was, that was a good leader. Um, one of the things I've struggled with, you mentioned mentorship, is I feel like I'm winging it. You know, um, really, it's like, so, you know, I was, what was it, uh, six years, I was 39 years old. You know, when I when I made chief, um, a lot of my neighboring chiefs were much older, had been in the position for a long time. Nobody was really calling up and saying, hey, congratulations, you made chief. You know, let's go grab coffee. In fact, nobody did. So. I felt probably the most alone in this position, um, which I think has helped me with the guys. Right. I, I was like, why do I why do I need hey, I think I developed a little bit of a bad attitude because it's like, why do I need those other chiefs? I got my guys. I got us. We'll stay focused on what we're doing. And, you know, as they say, right, we all kind of work in silos. And and now I'm just like, I want to break that. I don't want that anymore, right? We all need to kind of move in the same direction. This regional outreach worker is a good step in that direction, right? We can all start talking. Um, and so it was, and that kind of goes back to, you know, what I was saying before. I was like, I'm, I'm going to hang it up. I don't, this isn't kind of, I didn't, I didn't feel that camaraderie that I did, you know, when I was in the military, um, it was just very, very different. And, um, and now I'm feeling that we're starting to build that because we're all kind of, you know, common goal. I don't want to hear gossip and rumors. It's not doing any good for our, you know, our mental health. And, um, and so at least the guys that, that I work with, they, they seem to get it, you know, or at least they're not doing it in front of me. (laughs) No, and, that, and that's great. And it kind of kind of led into to the next question that I want to touch base on. And, and you know, so I'm, I'm going to kind of alter it a, a little bit. But so I guess no, number one, what do you think? What do you think was the, the biggest thing that influenced kind of the culture change that sounds like the department started to go through? Because you mentioned how it was very gossipy. And everything, and I said I've been in departments. I've been in a yeah. department like that. I know that's a, that can create a cancer within the department. So, what was? Do you think it was the kind of the creation of and coming together with a common goal and a common project for everyone, for everyone kind of coming together to work towards that kind of started to change that? You know, no, and I, I think you know, and I guess I think probably I wanted to lead differently. I want, I had a different, you know, objective. I had different goals for the department and how we treated people. And I think that how we treat people is ultimately going to kind of impact our, you know, us. Um, and so I didn't want to be that same department. I'm trying to pick my words real carefully here, you know, <laughs> but I just, I, I, it needed to change. I felt like it needed to change it, you know, coming to work can be fun as a police officer, right? We can, we can all get along. We can all. So I just wanted to get away from what I felt and why, like I mentioned before, I actually left uh, at the Elliott police department, came back with the thought of I'm going back home to Western Massachusetts. I just need a paycheck. So I'm going to go back 
um, because it, you know, it, it was bad and people were, you know, upset and they were, you know, focusing on other things, you know, and it was just, uh, just incredibly negative. And, and what had happened there was then was, you know, I had the opportunity to become a Lieutenant. I started taking some leadership courses and I started to be a little bit more brave and bold and call out some of the BS that I was seeing all the time. I was like, I, it's time for me to be the change. You know, it's time for me. Let, let me model this. Let me argue this. And I'm, I can get probably get a little passionate right now about this because it was, it was mm -hmm. big. It was like, that's it. I'm done. If I'm going to be here, then I'm going to do whatever I can to, you know, improve it. And, um, and that's, that's where it started. I think even before uh, I became a chief. That's awesome. So as you started to make that change and, you know, put, put your foot down, as you said, start to call out some of the BS and, and you decided that you were going to start to be the change. Did you encounter any resistance from, from the men, from the patrolmen or, or the people that you were, you know, kind of calling out? Yeah, a little bit. Um, you know, again, when I, when I changed the core values and people saw empathy, they were like, what, you know, what is this? What are, what are we, what are we moving towards here? Um, and, you know, and as, as I explained that, uh, you know, it took some, you know, some people left, you know, I'm not sure why, I, I, you know, I, I people want to say, you know, this, you know, this department sucks, right? This is the stuff that you guys have probably heard it too, right? This place sucks, this place, whatever. And does it, you know, because I was saying the same thing at one time and it was, again, I'll say, say it again, until I started doing that self-reflection, I'm like, this is a building, you know, I really control how I'm going to feel and I'm going to control how, I, you know, what kind of attitude I'm going to have so that I can, you know, make an impact on the others, you know? And, um, and I was focused on that. I just really wanted it to be different, you know, it focus on family, focus on, you know, we were kind of moving in that direction um, as best we could before we kind of knew officer wellness was an important thing, you know? And I love it. I completely agree with what you said. And, and, you know, this is a building it's a, it's a part. It's a, it's a building. We control the we control the atmosphere in there. Yeah. We control the culture. We control how other people feel. Um, so I was in a, I wasn't in a gigantic department, but I was in a department. We were about forty five when we were full staffed and everything. So you know, that was that was something that I definitely struggled with, is because I would try and go with that attitude, and it was so easy to get sucked back into. And kind of using like the, the thermostat example, like I'd try and come in and raise the thermostat, but you go into the building and it's set a lot lower and it just starts to creep you, creep you back down. So when you know, I heard someone, someone mentioned something very interesting to me that I was speaking to the other day. So I thought it was a great question to, to ask you on the show here. And that's, you know, when we're talking about patrolmen and we're talking about the leadership of agencies Oftentimes, there's a lot of finger pointing, the patrolman pointing up at the administration. They don't they don't know what they're doing. They don't they don't know what it's like to be a but they forgot where they came from. This is a lot of they don't understand us. All of that finger pointing in the administration saying they don't understand what it's like to be up here. They don't understand what we're trying to do. It's almost like there's a it's just no one understands where each other is coming from. What do you think needs to happen to kind of open up that communication and bring both sides together so that more and more agencies are understanding one another, leadership and the ranks, and coming together to actually go after a common goal? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, and I wonder, you know, again, it kind of changing my mindset, I always thought that being in a small department was probably more difficult than a larger department. But then I realized, wait a minute, we really have less personalities to manage and it might actually be easier, you know, to kind of, uh, um, you know, make make change and get everybody on the, on the same page. You know, for me, I make very few of the decisions, if, if that makes sense. You know, I always will. Guys, tell me what what we need, what we want. I, I have to take my cues from the guys, you know, equipment, um, you know, even schedule. You know, we, we were, you know, we had a. a one of our guys retired um, just a couple of weeks ago and the schedule was a big thing. What's going to happen? You know, or, you know, we're going to be a lot of overtime. Um, and I, and I got that sense that everybody was waiting to see what's the chief going to do with the schedule. Where am I going to end up? You know what, you know, that whole thing. And, it, and I think I said it three times. I was like, guys, I, I don't care if you come up with a fireman schedule, we need shifts covered, but by all means, don't let me 
don't treat me like I'm the smartest guy in the room because we're in trouble, you know? So let's, you know, collectively come up with something, you know, or, or you guys, you know, have the ability to kind of create a schedule. Let's talk about it. Bring it to me. You know, I've got other stuff to do. I, I'd love, you know, for you guys to do this and make those decisions and just let me sign off on it. And I think that's it. You know, that's the, that's getting buy-in, you know, and I think it's effective. You know, these guys, you know, grown men, you know, they're, they're capable of doing this. I'm, I am not special, you know? And so, you know, I guess I, I approach it that way is, is you guys make this place what you want it to be, you know? And I just kind of watch and make sure we're all kind of moving forward, staying positive. That's great. And that's, it's an, it's an awesome way to lead. And, and, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to stress again before we wrap up here is, is that I, you know, I love hearing from leaders and chiefs when they, when they say, you know, I don't know everything. I'm a, I'm a part of this. I'm helping to steer the ship, but we're, we're all on it. We're all going in the same direction. We all, we all want to go where we want to go together. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate you coming on with us tonight, chief. That was an awesome conversation. I can't wait for other police leaders and police officers to hear this and hopefully get some new ideas and things that they can start to put into place to, to really make their departments what they want it to be. Yeah, well, yeah, thank you uh, for having me. As we said before, I mean, this is it's great to be able to turn to a podcast where you can get, you know, some really some great advice, right? Like, like I mentioned, you know, mentorship wasn't easy to find at the beginning, yeah. but you can listen to some great people, you know, that you've had on and really just learn a lot. So it's, uh, you know, kudos to the both of you. Thank you, Chief. Thanks. Right. You know, it's funny you said that. It, it reminded me of Chief Harvey. Remember we asked him about leadership? And he started off his answer by telling us what he didn't know first. And I'm thinking <laughs> the humility of a human who's quote unquote, an expert and executive, a chief who's telling us what they don't know to start off. I, I got the same thing from chief Moya. So credit to you guys, because humility is the answer. It really is. Ego is the death of duty. Yeah. All right, chief, we like to play a game here. It's five questions. I don't know if you watch any other episodes that we've done this recently, but it's a lot of fun. Uh, at least I think it is. Uh, the, the questions are designed to you. We want to know who, who Elliot Moy is. We know Chief Moy is now. Who is Elliot Moy? Who is a little boy, the grown man? Who is Elliot? We'd love to connect with you. So five questions. You ready to go? All right. All right. We know you like food. Favorite yeah. food and least favorite food. Favorite food is, you know, originally a New Yorker, pizza. Mm. This is right, right there. I can eat it all day, every day. If it was, it would be like the last thing. If there was the only thing I could eat, I could eat pizza all day long. Good. So, Chief, wow. I always, I always used to laugh. You know, we, you could come in anytime you came into our police station when I was on the job. You could find a pizza of some sort sitting on the counter in the kitchen area. It didn't matter where it came from or how old it was. It would get eaten. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's disgusting, by the way. Um, <laughs> all right, you're a Mets fan. I'm a Phillies fan. Um, so I, I love this question because I'm sure we both watch the same games, but from different perspectives. Your favorite sports moment? It could be as a kid, an adult, your favorite professional sports moment, maybe watching or whatever, going to a game. Uh, sports moment? Yeah. That you saw uh, or witnessed. Okay. Not Okay, so, Ryan, I'm sorry, but that, that's got to be – the uh, the Bill Buckner <laughs> ground ball. I mean, that was that was amazing. You know, I mean, I feel uh, you know I felt bad for him sometime later, but man, what a turnaround! You know, just a, a gritty team that didn't give up. You know what's crazy about that play? Hundred times you hit him that ball, he's making it ninety nine times. Yeah. The one time he misses it is in the most critical spot of like the yeah. entire season. It's yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you're your dad. You have how many kids? Two kids. Two, two girls. Kids. Awesome. Yeah, we know you're a girl dad. Um, yep. we're, we're you're trading some emails back and forth about that. Um, your craziest moment, your craziest memory of being a dad. It could be crazy bad, crazy good, just some something that was like, whoa, that's crazy. I say this now looking back and just what's coming to my head, you know, uh, right off the bat. So my my I have a 17-year-old and I have a four-year-old, right? So, you know, the the spectrum there, right? One going off to college soon. And, um, you know, one that's just kind of, you know, literally probably upstairs running around, you know, uh, causing havoc. But uh, the way that she is today with her energy and just her sass, 
my wife's gonna kill me. But when when we were when when my wife was in labor, she was like, "Hey, the baby's gonna come out." And the doctor was just like, "Yeah, all right, we'll we'll be right there." She's washing her hands, right? And you know, Becca, my wife, looks at me. She goes, "This, you know, baby's coming out." Obviously, she said it more animated, more you know. And uh, the doctor's just over there, and I'm like, "All right, all right." And I'm kind of like, "Whatever," too, because I'm know that I'm gonna you know freak out. It wasn't, but two seconds later, and that baby flew out of there like a jet. And I was like, "Oh my God! Somebody's gonna catch this kid!" And you know, and I was like, "Okay." And I and and to the way that she came out, and now to see her, I'm like, you know what? That was it's absolutely her personality. It just makes. <laughs> oh my God! Awesome! I love that. That is amazing. Did, so was it in your house? Did you have your daughter in your house? No, no, it was it was in the hospital. But oh, okay. it was just just the way that you know it was uh, the way she flew out of there. I was like, she's like, I'm ready. I'm out. Let's do this. All right, for everybody who doesn't know, Chief Moy was a DJ, formerly a DJ. Did a lot of weddings, events. What is the most, two-part question, what is the most requested song that you ever had, you know, looking back on? Wow, good. that's a that's another good question. Um, it's like Earth, Wind, and Fire? Yeah, uh, you know, know, it really is. It's it's actually, yeah, it's one of those kind of like, a, a, you know, a, she's a brick yeah. house. You know, stuff like that. It's kind of that... Uh, the, the stuff that you play earlier in the in the party, right? Because, you know, that's when you get, <laughs> you know, mom, dad, the grandparents out there. Um, so it was a lot of those kind of those old kind of classics. Like, the new stuff changes so much, you know, so it was kind yeah. of like as as the night went on. Um, so that would always kind of change. But, you know, you always have those, uh, you know, the, the, those gamey ones, right? Like the chicken dance, you know, oh, things yeah. like that. Yeah. The, that the most request I probably got was don't play that. OK. You know, that was, that was one of the, uh, so. I was always a sucker for a little Cupid shuffle. I don't know. I just always liked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. And then second part of that question is you, Becca, the girls are hanging out. Maybe you got Siri or HomePod in the kitchen, Alexa, whatever you have. What song are you requesting first? Like right now, today, what's on your brain? Man, uh, it's probably going to be something Post Malone. Oh, Mm. And my and and my daughter, my seventeen year old, would make fun of me because I list, I I probably have played that on a, on a loop. Um, <laughs> but I tell you, I don't know. I even went and saw him in concert. I, just something about him speaks to me. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm also a Justin Bieber fan too. So if you can, you know. <laughs> but but my age too, though. I'm, I I like the you know the '90s grunge, right? Pearl Jam, all that stuff. Yeah. You know, um, love that awesome. stuff. The, the Super Bowl halftime show to me was like. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. All Funny of us in this age, age range, that was a great show for us. Yeah. yeah. Funny you brought up Justin Bieber. So my everybody makes fun of me that knows me. My favorite band is the Backstreet Boys. I'm unabashed when I say this. When I was in Korea in 99, I was seven. I just turned 18. Never left Horsham, Pennsylvania, where I'm from. And I remember I get there on a Friday night. I sharing a room with a, a Katusa, who was a Korean soldier, who was home because he lived in the area. He was home for the weekend. So I've never left home except for boot camp, uh, sitting in this bunk half a world away, literally crying myself to sleep my first. I was so homesick, just regretting it. And I remember put on the radio, the roommate had a little radio and everything was in Korea, but this is right when uh, Millennium dropped in the Backstreet Boys, May of 99, it was an unbelievable album. And uh, they're playing, I want it that way. So all these Korean songs then like, Backstreet Boy. And that was just the English I heard was reminding me of home so much. I like fell in love with them, and now to this day, I've been to all their concerts. Uh, wow! Yeah, I took my wife, and then told everyone I'm here for my wife, but really, she was here for me. Um, anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna show that story. <laughs> Last question: You're a cigar fan. I'm a cigar fan. I love this this question because cigars for me are very social, and I can tell they are for you too. So, what is the fa your favorite cigar you ever? The best one, and who were you with, and what were you doing? You know, cigars for me are. I guess I don't know. I, I don't want to say personal, you know, but I I love to just be with myself with a cigar. Hmm. You know, I, now that's not to say I won't be at a cigar lounge somewhere. We've got a couple nice ones in the area here, um, but it really is kind of a a moment for me to just think, you know. And um, in fact, today my wife just says, you know, uh, you're buying a lot of cigars. She goes, and you haven't smoked her in a while. It's so cold up here, you know. And and so, um, yeah, I think. Um, you know, for me, I, I I would say I smoke a cigar a week. Usually, it's that moment where I'm like, you know what, I need a I need a minute, I need a timeout. You know, life moves fast, so you know I like to say it's kind of for me to you know be kind of uh, mindful, right? I mean, there's a lot to there's a lot to a cigar. There's so much to learn about it. You know, where the, the 
the wrapper, the, the you know the binder, the filler, where it's from. Try to get those flavors. I I, I don't know that I I have a very good palate for that stuff, but um, but yeah, I I just uh, and I always even though I set out to have a cigar on my own, if I do go to the lounge, I always end up talking to someone. And it's always a great conversation, you know, and, and just not about work, not about, you know, just some random different type of conversation that uh, it's nice. It's something that, uh, you know, it's kind of a cool little uh, hobby. Like I, I think I told you, not not the healthiest, but uh, <laughs> not the worst either. You know, you're practicing mindfulness. I don't think there's anything wrong with you. That five gotta, yeah, I got to make it my Zen moment, you know, Chief Moy, five questions. Thanks, Chief. Thank you. Before we wrap up, I always like to ask uh, number one book recommendation that you have for people. Uh, well, you know what? I go back to say I've, I've started doing a lot of reading now because, you know, j- just because all these books are fantastic, right? Medlin's books. Um, so I've been I've been hitting these books pretty hard right now. Um, what am I reading? I'm reading uh, Taming the Serpent. Ooh, um, ooh. Yeah, which is right. It's, I think it's neuro neuroscience, you know, and, and it's. Um, basically, and it's not heavy, right? I say neuroscience, but I think it's, um, you know, talks about using neuroscience to modernize police. Um, and I'm not through it yet. I just started it, but I really like what I'm, you know, what I'm uh, uh, reading so far. So it's, uh, it's, I've been enjoying it. But awesome. I, like I said, I do, I love it. I love, you know, people out there sharing their stories, writing this stuff down is, uh, is awesome. We, and you get some great plugs in there for for some of our prior guests, Scott Scott Medlin's books and uh, Chief Harvey's yeah. book as well. So. Yeah, yeah. Ernie, you know Ernie's book too is super helpful. Um, you know, there's that last chapter there on on Mtala for CIT, CIT has been like a game changer. So yeah, great, really great stuff. So where's the best place for our listeners to connect with you if they want to follow you and see what you're doing and, and see the different events that you're that you're doing? Where's the best place for the listeners to connect? Yeah, I, I mean, I always say LinkedIn, right? I see, I feel like everybody's on there right now, kind of, um, you know, with that common goal, right? Which, which is this, you know, and, and um, I've just seemed to connect with so many people, you know, and, and, you know, it starts with a message there. And I think it's been, uh, um, you know, that's probably the great place, great place to start. Awesome. Chief, uh, you know, on behalf of Chad and I, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy day to, to come on with us and um, you know, share your, your knowledge and everything you're doing and your inspiration with our listeners. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It's been an honor and this is a lot of fun. So I, I, I appreciate uh, you guys having me, really. Awesome, Chief. You did not disappoint, Chief. Appreciate it. Thank you.